This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. The title is The Christian and Government. And as usual, you can find all of our Shabbat messages wherever you get your podcasts. They are also all up on our website, ZionHebraicCongregation.com. You can also subscribe to my dad's weekly essays that he writes if you put your email in the email subscribe box. Those are all posted at our website. And our theme music, as always, is by my buddy Evan Shaw. His music, or his website is evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. All right, let's pray. We'll pray and and get started. Father, I just thank you so much for this Shabbat. Thank you for the folks that come. It's the blessing that they are actually, quite frankly, to all of us. And thank you that we get to uh, focus around your word. And Father, our desire is, as always, to uplift our Savior, Yeshua, to glorify him, magnify you, and to let the Holy Spirit do His work in our hearts through Your Word. And we're so dependent upon that, Father. It's all in vain if the Spirit doesn't work. And I just ask, Father, that You'll have Your will and way in our lives and that You will just continue the process of conforming us more and more to our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. All right, so here I am, our bi-weekly feel-good preacher. Guaranteed to make you feel good and not be controversial. So, I'd like you to turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel 24. We're going to get there eventually. So, for just to have a title, I've entitled this The Christian and Government. The Christian and Government. So these are my thoughts. Just take it all with a grain of, thought, uh, grain of salt. It's, it's not my desire to rock anybody's boat, nor is it my emphasis that I'm correct on my perspectives. But I, I, I do want us to think through some things, at least as I see it and perceive it. Uh, and my desire has been, and always is, that we would read the Word of God in such a way that we will be able to see ourselves in it and take the personal application from it to apply into our lives. Because that's the whole point of the Bible. It's just not a factoid thing to look at. It's not to just, you know, get knowledge and impress each other with how much we know. Uh, And we need to know stuff. But more so, it needs to just kind of like burrow into our inner in our being to where it becomes the compass from which guides us for everything we think, say, do. It, it becomes that which we go back to to find out what we are to do, how to think, how not to think, what directions to take, what not uh, or take. Uh, 
And so to me, this book is, it's powerful. And I'm not saying it's not to you guys. I know it is. It's just powerful in that it transcends mere human perspective. It's a spiritual book. The natural mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God unless he's renewed because the spiritual things of God are understood spiritually. So this book is meant to speak to every generation, every individual believer, in every circumstance, what country you live in, what government you live under. It's, it's all applicable. And it's, it's not... Well, that's what happened back then, so it's just for then. No, God gave us his book for all time, every generation. So when we read something that happened thousands of years ago, it's applicable to today. You know, it's like the book of Daniel, written so long ago, but God says, hey, some of it's going to be sealed until then. So it's a book kind of for all time. Now, I kind of just want to take you where my thinking is. So the Christian government. All right, so this is my perspective. So the first government, what was, don't answer, and I'm just going to say the questions, but I, what was the first government? I think the first government, if we can use that term, was the family. It's the first structure that God set up that had a function with a head, somebody that followed, and eventually... Citizens. So basically, just by way of analogy, you had the husband who was a president, the wife, the VP, and the kids that came along that were the citizens. I mean, really, it's the first government. It's God's government. It's God setting up things the way he wants it to run at the very, very core of everything. Because at the core of everything is the family. <laughs> For the record, they're not screaming at me. <laughs> Bye. Citizen rebellion. Yeah, Stark John done it. <laughs> so, so God set up this unit from which everything else is going to spring out of. And if this beginning unit falls apart, it doesn't really matter what kind of government you have. So as I see it, the first government that God set up was that very embryonic form back in the garden of the family. And the family was a man and a woman. Anything else is not a family. It's an abomination. It's just an abomination. And I'm th- I was thinking as I thought that thought, it's like I cannot believe I live in a country where you have to even quantify what a family is. But it's a man, a woman, and kids. And anything else, I'm just going to tell you, I don't care how anybody sugarcoats it, it's an abomination. It's an abomination what's going on in our country today. It is so bad. And it's legally sanctioned. Bad stuff. All right. So how do we get here? Well, God gave us the initial government, the family. But you don't get very far before you find out there's already some breakdown. So you're in Genesis 3. Don't turn. And uh, you're reading along in Genesis 3. And so this is my take on it. So you have the garden. You have Satan. You have the fruit. You have Adam and Eve. It's a test. All right. God says, hey, don't do this. Old Satan comes along and says, hey, did God really say that or not? And so what I see in this is the head, Adam, his inaction. He did not eat the fruit. That was a good thing. But 
He didn't stop his wife either. So leadership fails right off the bat. Leadership, in this case, doing the right thing, obeying God, but he just, as far as we can tell from narrative, doesn't do anything to stop his wife. So Adam's inaction. He didn't eat the fruit, but he didn't stop his wife either. Failure to heed God's word produced division and failure. Adam and Eve, right from the beginning, there was a separation. And God hates a separation, but Adam and Eve, there was a separation. What was the separation? She was doing her own thing. I want the fruit. He's doing his own thing. I'm not going to eat the fruit. You have a division already, and we're just barely getting off the first pages of the scriptures. When leadership doesn't do as it should, there's a breakdown and eventually a separation. And then it doesn't just stop there because what happens? Then they get kicked out of the garden, separation. They have children, but what happens there? You get one that hates the other and kills a brother. So right from the beginning, because Adam did what he shouldn't, not Adam didn't do what he shouldn't do, but didn't stop his wife. There was a division. That division created chaos. Chaos has spread into the world. And the immediate ramifications where you have a brother killing a brother. Separation is a disaster. And so, I mean, you don't get very far and you have the first Adam. And that government failed. Why? They did not obey God, and do what God said, and it just all fell apart. So you have the first Adam, sin, failure, division, separation, death. All because of not obeying a simple thing that God said to do, quote-unquote simple. <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying I would have done any better in Adam's spot. All right, so, Interestingly, now, here's where you have the first translation of the Bible. It, it goes, the first translation of God's Word is in the Garden of Eden. And it's, I'm calling it the Eve version. The Eve version. Why? Because she doesn't quite get it right in her translation. She added neither shall ye touch it. So she didn't get it quite right in her translation. And so this is where the first, first messing around with God's word takes place. And it's what I call the Eve translation because we have it here in the Bible. We have exactly what she said, but what she did was she added to it. And just try to hang with me on this. I, to, first, I, I think this is great. All right, now, then, that was first government. Then you have what's going to be, finally, the second government, the second Adam, Yeshua. All right? The second Adam, Messiah, Christ, he's building his kingdom now and will one day rule. Now, it's, it's really cool because with the first Adam, there's this initial confrontation with Satan. There's messing with the word of God. There's separation and eventually death. You have the second Adam. Satan again shows up with him, puts temptation before him, 
even uses the word, Satan even uses the word of God, but what he does is he omits something. So even her translation, she adds something. You have Satan there. You have this translation that comes out of it. Then you have the second Adam facing Satan. Same, there's a temptation. The word of God is brought into it. But Satan tries to kind of use again, slight a hand. But, of course, Yeshua is too smart from that. Henry Morrison, his Bible said, uh, Satan quotes Psalm 91, 11 through 12, but takes it out of context and omits the phrase, to keep thee in all thy ways. So it's interesting. So, so, there's, so um, Yeshua obeyed the word and didn't listen to the revised Eve edition of the word translated by Satan. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just going, it's just, it's just this whole narrative that hinges around the translation of the word of God. And that's not my point. I'm not, just, I'm not picking that bone. I just think it's interesting how if the word of God is allowed, just generically speaking, I'm not talking about translations. If the word of God is allowed to be picked apart or pick and choose or take away or add to, it's a recipe for destruction. And the only way to stay true to God under whatever government we live in is to be obedient to the word of God, which I want to hopefully try to prove at the end. All right, now. So Eve adds, Satan subtracts. It all hinges upon what we do with the word of God and our obedience to it. The first Adam failed, government fell apart, sin and separation. Yeshua comes, he starts to build his kingdom, he's going to set it all right. Now, all of this, the world and its governments, since Adam, it's not how it's supposed to be. It is. But it's not how God intended, intended for it to be. We're, we're, we're living under the best of any government you can think of in our minds, America. It's, it's, it comes up short of God's ideal. It just comes up short. It's a good one. Has been. Well, anyway, I don't want to debate that. But I want to try to show something now. Okay, I'm going to leave all that. All right, just I want to get in your mind, Satan... The attack on the Word of God, leadership failing, a breakdown of the structure underneath that with the wife and with the kids. And then, but Yeshua now, he comes and he inserts new information. He's building his kingdom. He's setting the word right. He's attacking the Pharisees. He's showing where they're wrong. They had messed up the Torah so bad. He says, I have to come and set it right. And so that's what he comes to do. All right, now. Governments, presidents. You know, I, I, this is a dumb question. Don't answer it. But I got thinking, is voting for government leaders even in the Bible? I, I don't think it is. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but I, I never thought of it until working on this message because I'm thinking about elections coming up and all that stuff. And I just got thinking with my mind, what does the Bible say about voting? I mean, that's what my mind literally thought. And I got thinking, well, wait a minute, I can't, you know, maybe casting lots for making decisions and things like that. But as far as a government, I, I don't know. Don't nail me to the wall if I'm 
wrong on that, but it's just a thought. All right, so presidents, presidents now. So we have an election coming up pretty soon. Um, Biden and Trump. All right, now, I'm not going to get into that. However, I got thinking about voting and my record of voting. All right, so I have been voting for presidents for a long time. And I have voted, except for once, all Republican. And I'm going to tell you who I voted for, because I had to go back. I wanted to know. All right, so the first time I voted was for Nixon in 1972. It's the second term, I believe. I turned 18. I could vote. And that was a time in our country that was, from my perspective, it was kind of cool. You had muscle cars. You know, the 60s and the late 60s, mid to 60s, early 70s, you had the muscle cars that were out there. It was amazing. This incredible, from my perspective, music that was just, just kind of just came out of who knows where, just stuff that's still 50 years later, they're remastering and still putting it out. And then, don't, don't listen to what I'm saying, guys, but then you had the whole hippie movement, the drug scene and all that, of which I was a part of, so you had... Yeah, muscle cars, music, and all these incredible drugs. And the Vietnam War. And the chaos and confusion that was in all of that. And it was ripping our country apart, and it was a stupid war. It was a war that we tied our own hands. We couldn't win. Our, our, our own kids are dying. You know, all the protests you've seen at all. And so Nixon comes along and says, hey, if I'm voted elected president, I will stop the draft. Well, my last name's T. You never get picked first for anything. I was number 20 in the draft. So it's like, yeah, I better go ahead and vote for that guy because I don't want to go. Of course, 72, it's kind of winding down and we're starting to pull out, but it's just a disaster. And so, so anyway, so I voted for Nixon. I voted for Carter. Now, Carter was a Democrat. Now, I want you to remember the names. Now, Car Carter was a Democrat, but he ran as what? A born-again Christian. He was a born-again candidate. Oh, I can remember. Oh, how great. We can vote for a born-again in Eastern Georgia, the Bible Belt, and he says he's born again. Woo-hoo! So I vote for Carter. So then I, uh, I don't know if I'm skipping some, but anyway, I mean, I'll give you all I got. I'm not running all of the president. Then I voted for Reagan. Got really big into Reagan. Uh, he, he was played, he was governor of California, he had a 15-minute radio broadcast every day. It was played through the station that our school had. It's like, whoa, who's this guy? He's running for president, he comes to our university, he, and he speaks at our university, our massive 5,000 auditorium, and it's like me, it's like, man, I gotta hope I can see him. And so I figure he's gonna go out the back, and a few of us are lined up, and here's a sidewalk, and I'm like arm's length away, and, Hopefully, future President Reagan walks right by me. And, um, and so I got involved in that election, and he became president. Then he became president again. So, I, you know, Nixon, Carter, Reagan. All right, so then I voted for George H.W. Bush. George H. Bush. Uh, what did I say? H.W. That first Bush. H. First Bush. Um, then, afterwards, I, I also voted for the next Bush, George Bush number two, both times. And then I voted for Trump. Now, 
I didn't do this for any reason, but I just got thinking about my own history of voting. I voted for the best of the two. But I voted for Nixon. Well, that was a disaster. We got Watergate and everything really cool like that out of it. That was a disaster. Voted for Carter. If you know anything about Carter now, he's horrible. He's a horrible guy. Doing damage to our country still. Reagan. 1984. Thank you, Mr. Reagan. He gave us Fauci. Still paying that price. Bushes. George Bush's second term, he just put us into the financial disaster we're in, and he's the one that started the clock, that snowball rolling in a big way, in my opinion. And now Trump. I voted for the best of the two options. And now, how many hundreds of thousands or millions of babies have we killed since 73? But voted for the good president. Now we're struggling with, what's a family? In our country, in our government, and all sanctioned by our government. But I can look back to 1972, 73 on, and this snowball that was this small, just a little bad, we got the better of the two, got this big, this big, this big, this big, to where it's huge now, but we keep picking the better of the two evils. We did something wrong a long time ago, but because we've been a frog in a pot, we don't realize what the heck we have brought upon ourselves. All right, so enough of that. Now, that gets us into our scripture. All right, so, 2 Samuel 24. I preached a message, what, a couple weeks ago about Saul. Remember Saul? Uh, uh, he issued the order to kill all the priests. Priests and the Pope. What's that? The priests and the Pope. Yes. And so, yeah, so Saul, so... Um, you know, Saul's upset. Nobody's telling me where David's hiding out. And remember, David uh, was on the run, and, and he went to uh, the, 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 the place where the priest was, and, and he got the sword. And while he was there, he saw Saul's man, Doeg, for whatever reason, he was hanging out there. Time goes by, and Saul's saying, nobody loves me. How come they're not telling me where David is? Doeg says, hey, I saw him with the priest, and the priest helped him and aided him. Get me that guy and everybody else with him. Brings him in, meets with them. He wants his, he wants to kill them. Tells his elite guard to do it. They won't do it. Doeg, he takes it upon himself. He just makes a slaughter, then goes to where they all live, and just it's a massacre. Talked about the fact that it was great that the elite guard did nothing to kill them, but it was bad that they stood there while they got slaughtered and did nothing. And a lot of people died. Now, he's a bad king. We can say, well, he was a bad king. And, okay, now, <laughs> that gets us to today. A good king. 
a good king, David. Let's read it. Second Samuel 24. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved. So I know you're going to say, was it God or Satan? Yes. All right. And he moved David against them to say. So this is so cool. God's mad at Israel. Um, he moves, according to Second Chronicles, uh, wherever it is, First uh, Chronicles, uh, you know, it says Satan moved him. Here it seems like God moves him. Who is it? It's yes. It's yes. Just like with say, uh, Job, you know, God, he says, you moved me to uh, act against Job. So it's yes. So he, he moves David against Israel and says, go number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was uh, with him, go now through all the tribes of Israel uh, from Dan, even to Beersheba, and number ye the people that I may know the number of the people. So, did I say Do uh, Doeg or Job before, Joab before? But anyway, whoever the guy was back there with Saul, his name. All right, so now, this is, this is, this is really cool because, verse 3, Joab says to the king, ah, now, Yehovah, your Elohim, add unto the people how many soever there be, a hundredfold. And that the eyes of my Lord the King may see it. But why are you doing this? Why do you want to do this? Verse 4, notwithstanding the king's word prevailed, not only against Joab, but against the captains of the host. So he's getting a little bit pushback here. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's being counseled not to do it. Good. This is good. So um, verse 4, Notwithstanding, kings were prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Now, in my mind, it has nothing to do with anything. I think, always think, wait a minute tilt, tilt, something's wrong with this picture here. Well, let's go on and read. And they passed over Jordan and uh, pitched in a roar on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and toward Jazer. Uh, then they came to Gilead into the land of, this is where I wish I had self-pronouncing. Uh, how do you pronounce that, Luke? And they came to? Yeah, and then they came to Dan... Jahan, in uh, about Zidon, seven, and came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Some feel that they actually probably took their time and didn't want this to happen real quick. So it had, took nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men, 10. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto Jehovah, I've sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Jehovah, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I've done very foolishly. Now it's just, just, you know, sin is enjoyable for a pleasure, but afterwards it brings death. That's what he's going through right here. For, uh, 11. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith Jehovah, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, 
Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in the land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be, and I think it's interesting, three days COVID-19 in the land. Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I'm in a tough spot here. Let us fall now into the hand of Jehovah, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a humongous COVID-19 upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 people die. This plague, this unexplained, where did it come from? What's happening? Get out the face masks. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented of Yehovah, repented of the evil and said unto the angel that destroyed the people, it's enough, stop. And the angel of Yehovah was by the threshing place of Aruna the Jebusite. And David spoke unto Yehovah when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned, I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And God came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as Jehovah commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And, and he went out, bowed before the king with his face to the ground and said, Why is my lord the king come to his servant? David said, I want to buy the threshing floor to build an altar. This thing has to get stopped. So Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take an offer up that seemeth good unto him. And it goes on. All right, now. Remember, I'm trying to talk about the Christian and government. So, you're standing before Saul, kill all the priests. It's good that you do nothing, bad that you did nothing. All right, now, this gets a little bit more difficult. David, he's a good guy. He's one of us. Well, he's already disobeyed God a little bit when he had the ark moved because the ark was on a cart that's supposed to have been carried that fellow touched it, got killed, and David just went into a tizzy fit. What the heck's going on, God? Finally gets it right. Next time he moves it, they're carrying it, but people died. People have died with, um, because of him, maybe, going to the priest and being found out. And everything goes with that, because he's, you know, afterwards he said, hey, come stay with me, I'll protect you because one of them escapes. You know, it's my fault that it happened. So now he gets this brilliant idea, and I'm sure he doesn't even know where it comes from, right? I mean, where, you know, you're, if you're like me, it's like, oh, you're doing fine sailing along, and all of a sudden this thought pops into your head and just kind of bumps you over to this direction when you were just sailing along right here. You know, I don't know how the spiritual plays into it. I don't know if they're tests. I don't know what's going on because these people that are experiencing this pestilence that just seem to just come out of nowhere, they, they don't really know what's going on behind the scenes and what God is up to and that God had actually sent the pestilence. Mind-blowing. Because the king did something he shouldn't have done. Now, What's interesting is we have the same situation here with David saying to go do something. He gets pushed back. 
But yet, instead of saying, David, sorry, ain't going to do it. Not going to happen. Not under my watch. Kill me if you want. You're not supposed to do this. God said not to. And, and, the, and the crazy thing about this is, is if the thing with Saul, if the elite had acted, it would have been in the best interest of the people because those guys wouldn't have got killed. And if now with David, if they got pushed, if he got pushed back to the point of saying, nope, not going to do it, 70,000 people wouldn't have been, would have, lives would have been saved. If somebody had stood up at the very beginning, back when Nixon was president and said, I don't care how good he is, or, or all those other guys, they're better than the best, and they're better than the best. If, if, if somebody had said no, right at the beginning, so many lives would be saved. But for whatever reason, they went out and did what David said to do. How do you uh, live with that? See, me, I'm saying, I can't live with this. I don't know what God is going to do. They already know enough of God's history and how he acts by this time to know that, hey, God doesn't take disobeying his word lightly. We're not going to do that. Because when God gets mad, it's worse than dad scraping the slippers against the floor. This is bad stuff. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to disobey. God, God put him in position as leader. I'm not even disputing that with Saul or David. They're there by God's divine appointment. Doesn't mean that the citizen doesn't still have to obey God. Because if you don't, you start at 1973, you come to here, worldwide with the agency and help of America, how many millions of babies have been killed, we're in so much trouble. And now we're spreading our immorality, legally, legally, throughout our country and around the world. But we're still forced with picking between the two of one's better than the other. I'm trying to say I've done that for how many presidents and look where we are now. Okay, so let me wrap this up. David, um, with Saul. So um, uh, the footman, they did not act to stop the killing of the priest, David. They should not have acted upon the orders of David. In both cases, multitudes of people died. Both men were put in office, Saul and David, by God. Under both, horrible deaths happened because those that should have acted against the kings did not. You had a bad king, did bad things, Saul. You have a good king, did bad things, David. So, all right, I'm going to wind it up. What do we do? All right, now, turn to Second Chronicles. We'll, we'll only turn to this one. I have a couple others we won't turn because you know, but you might not know this. So turn to 2 Chronicles 26. I can remember, uh, oh, I hope I got this right. Oh, I'm at 1 Chronicles. Good. 2 Chronicles 16. All right. The first time I ever heard this preach was my hero of the living faith, then Lester Roloff. I've told you before, Lester Roloff, I'll tell you again, he had children's homes from young all the way through, you know, older. 
been running them for years in Texas. The courts would send kids to his children's homes. He had several children's homes. They had in Mississippi and Texas, and he might have had them someplace else. Been doing it for years, decades. Never needed a license. New governor comes in, if I'm remembering this correctly, said all homes have to be licensed. Lester Ross said, not going to do it. I don't need a license from the government to do what God called me to do. We're going to do this. We're going to stay open. We're, going to, we're not going to take a license. He ended up in jail twice. Um, they shut down the homes. Some kids got killed because of it, and the only homes he could have was for those that were 18 above. I mean, I listened to the testimonies of those girls and those boys and the lives that they came from and how they got saved. I heard multitudes of them. It was amazing, amazing, amazing. But change needed to take a license. So Lester Roloff became a litmus test for how we're going to handle this disobedience to God, uh, disobedience to the government. So he went to jail, came out, long story. But anyway, afterwards I heard him preaching about this. So let's read the Second Chronicles 26, just 16, starting at 16. Uh, i got to get there. I keep not getting there. Second Chronicles 26. All right, starting at verse 16. Now it's talking about Uzziah, king of Judah. He's a good king. Uh, but when he, Second Chronicles 26, 16, but when he, Uzziah, was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against Jehovah's Elohim and went into the temple of Jehovah to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah, this is good. This is what we're supposed to do now. When government intrudes upon what God wants to do. There's two sets of laws here. Man's law, God's law. Which one trumps what? All right. So 17, and Azariah the priest went in after the king, the government. And with him, he took four score, 80 priests of the Lord. They're valiant men. <laughs> I love that. They weren't wimps. You know, they were fighting men. Oh, I could go off on this. 18. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, Oh, I wish you could have heard Lester off in that deep baritone voice. It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. And he just moved, get out! Get out! He said, the government doesn't belong in the house of God. Get out! That's how he said it. And I thought, whoa, I never would have seen it like that. But the priests, sons of Aaron, they're consecrated to burn the incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. Then Uzziah, Uzziah, who do you think you are? He had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord uh, from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest and all priests, looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself, he got the message, he got out of really quick. And he was a leper for a long time after that. What happened? They stood up. This is not what God says. You're not supposed to be in the temple doing this. You're a good guy. You're one of us. But in this one thing that's going to have devastating consequences, you are wrong. They didn't sit there and say, well, he did so many good things. I know, I know, but he's trying to do so much good things. We'll let it go this time. 
Well, they stood against it. And you know what? The king got the message, didn't he? Because somebody was strong enough. And there were some men that knew what the word of God says. And it's not happening on my watch. No, sir. All right, we won't turn to these. Um, another one, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, so interesting. He walks up to Herod, the local government, and says, what you are doing in that you have your brother's wife is not against the law. It's against the Torah, which trumps everything that you're doing. You are wrong. It, he's, he walks out. It is against Torah what you're doing. It's against God's law. You know, and, and some believe that John the Baptist was slated to be the next high priest, but he knew it was so bad because the lineage, he knew it was so bad. He's way over there. It has nothing to do with it. Wow. And don't you know, he knows it's going to cost him his life, but he does it. He stands against. Oh, a lot of good things. Herod's kind of favorable towards the Israelites. He's done a lot of good things for them. John, hush. Hush, John, please. The next guy will make it worse. He didn't do that. Now, this is a good one. Yeshua. Same guy, Herod. Herod's starting to put the squeeze on him. And what does Yeshua say? Hey, so I tell you what, send a message to him. Tell that fox, I'm going to do what I want to do until I'm done. Leave me alone in the meantime. Go tell that fox. <laughs> Go tell that fox. Well, it's going to cost him his life eventually too, ultimately. His disobedience. The, the, the Torahless uh, spiritual leaders didn't like him. The Torahless government leaders didn't like him. He's just, there's no way he's going to win in this. But we have this pattern, guys. Whether it's a good king or a bad king, a good president or a bad president, it doesn't matter. There has to come a time where if we don't stop, we are culpable. So I know this isn't controversial. <laughs> and everybody's agreeing with me here. And I'm not saying for right now make any decisions because you're probably not going to anyway. I'm trying to get us to see how we're to function in this world as citizens in a country, but greater so citizens of heaven in what law tells us to do what? No matter how small, he's going to go number the people. What's the big deal? Well, from what I can gather, based on the word further that's used for numbering, it's a military census. He wants to know what his strength is. And God says, you're not supposed to rely on that. Trust me, whether in many or by few, I'm still God. So in these cases, the clergy slash the Christian stood up against the divinely appointed leadership. Why did, he, why did they do it? It was for the leader's own good and the good of the people that they governed. 
<sighs> so today, in my opinion, to do anything less than that, it's sin. It's sin. If we keep perpetuating by electing our good or bad people, and we don't ever take a stand, do you not realize what a force if, if God's people throughout this country, I wish I knew how many there were, born again, evangelical, I don't, you know, well, just, just a born again crowd. If we stood as a united block, which will never happen because we're so petty on our little stupid stuff, we've been... It's sleight of hand Satan is used to get us way over here while he's busy doing this thing over here. If, if we, as the people of God in this country, would just collectively stand up and say, no more, things would change. Things would change. And, if, and I'm not even talking to the, the ballot box. I'm talking God would say, whoa. All right. What I do, what I do. You know, God would say, yeah, I'm on board with this. Let's do it. It has to start somewhere. Now, it's so far gone now, nothing big that it is that we can do. But little by little, person by person, by word of mouth, by action, we have to start injecting God's truth, his principles, his words into this virus of disobedience to God. So I'm going to end with this. I've said it a million times. Our nation is doomed. Innocent blood legislated by our own government is just being shed, 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 shed. Immorality legislated by our government, the two biggest things that God gets really teed off at. And unless we oppose our leaders concerning that which they should or should not be doing, we will be failing in our responsibility and obligation to uphold the supreme law of the land, the Torah of God. I've said it before, Charles Stanley, obey God and leave the results to him. When he said that, and Judy is the one that told me about it years ago, obey God and leave the results with him. Oh, we wouldn't listen to Charles Stanley. He's just a Christian and he doesn't keep Torah. Well, he's got that one right. We've lost that. It's, just, it's as simple as that. We obey God. The consequences of our obedience to him are not on us. It's on him. So we all have to decide, and it's not me to, for me to decide for you. I can't, but I have the bully pulpit every other week. Stop coming when I preach. Um, I, you know... It's Luke, I think we're on the same page here. It's our responsibility to just, as best we can, preach as we see the Word of God. And honestly, I, I, I think there's stuff here that is worth considering in the country in which we live. Because we have kids coming up that are going to be, we're handing them our disobedience. I have, now I have grandkids coming up in this. And I have lived long enough from 
President Kennedy and what the country, I was born when Eisenhower was still president. I don't know that there's any parent here or grandparent that's really too excited for our kids having to grow up in what we see enveloping them right now. You know? So let's pray. So, Father, I don't know. Whenever I heard Lester Roloff preach this stuff, though it, it would ring my bell, I just thanked you for it. And, and in a weird sense of, uh, a weird way, it just, it just, I was grateful. I was grateful to hear this stuff because it's usually the hard stuff that is going to help us to do what is best for us. I don't need a guy like Lester Rolla said about Elijah the Tishbite. He said, we need preachers with a bite. We don't need preachers behind the pulpits gumming us to death. We need preachers again with a bite. You know, I love that stuff. I don't want to gum anybody to death. The Word of God is sharp and powerful. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we have a responsibility to kind of poke it every once in a while. And I seem to be that guy right now. And I don't, I don't relish this, but this is where I am and this is what I see. And if nothing else, Father, I'm trying to do the best I can before you. I have to stand before you and uh, give an answer someday. And there's a lot I don't want to have to answer for. And I sure don't want to be screwing it up on the end here, Father. So you will be done. Um, help us to look to your word. And Yeshua, like Ranger Andy said, you'll find it in the Bible. You'll find it in the Bible. You'll find it in the Bible so you'll know it's there. You hold each one of us accountable for how we respond and react in relation to this book that you've given us. And that's what you will judge us by. So, thank you for your love. Thank you that Yeshua took all our judgment and help us to live in such a way that our light will shine and bring him glory. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mountain.